I wanted to begin tonight by just sharing with you a small experience I had this morning when I was sitting up here. And I opened my eyes and I looked at everybody. I felt such love and gratitude. Just that we all came together in the way that we have in this time. And there's something about a sense of impermanence, change. You know, I'm about to be gone for four months, which I think it just helped to really bring it to light how unique, how precious, how beautiful we are. You know, that this configuration, and it's just been a joy to share with you. You know, you are my teachers, and I just bow to you. Thank you. And so um, tonight we're moving on to truthfulness in the paramis. Uh, You know, these qualities of heart-mind that really help support awakening. And just to say about truthfulness, when I give a talk on truthfulness, I know I'm sitting on the hot seat. (laughs) I think it's a talk I should give often. You know, it just brings some kind of fire that I go, okay, <laughs> are you going to walk your talk? <laughs> and I'm grateful for it. I'm really grateful for it. And this was highlighted in a story about Gandhi that I once heard. Um, it said that he was boarding a train in India, a very chaotic situation. And then there's, you know, reporter, a reporter who wants to get the hot piece. Anyhow, and he, you know, in the midst of all this chaos, this reporter's asking him, Gandhi, can you please give me a message for the people? And Gandhi simply responded, my life is my message. And I don't know, it just strikes another chord in me. And, you know, I have to admit, when I heard it, I thought, ooh, (laughs) if I looked at some of the things in my own life, what kind of message is it putting out? But that's okay, because it's the journey. It's the journey of awakening. And, yeah, there's stuff from the past that, you know, might not be the message I want to convey to you. (laughs) But it's all a piece of being a human being and waking up. And, you know, tonight, speaking about truthfulness. And I first want to speak about truth and then in the fullness of how we live that. And, you know, truth is the basis, the foundation of the spiritual journey. And it's not so easy to see. You know, we have such habits of confusion, of not seeing clearly. You know, we in our lives have had times where we developed patterns to protect ourselves because we didn't know what else to do. You know, a little kid just trying to find a way to be okay in the midst of great uncertainty. And so, you know, we might have put up really strong barriers that, that were helpful so that we just weren't overwhelmed by anger, others' anger, feeling of uncertainty, not feeling safe. But that became a prison at some point. And, you know, we, and then we find you know, through the practice that we develop mindfulness, that steadiness of mind that can look, can see, can be with things. There's a whole shift that happens in there. And you know, within each of us, 
there's been a yearning for truth, a yearning to know, a yearning for freedom. And this is the peace that as wisdom strengthens, as mindfulness strengthens, it, we, it becomes you know, a whole discovery about what truth is and then an embodiment, an acting from that place, a living in alignment with that truth. But as we practice, we see you know, just the habits in the mind, the confusion. We see that you know, we don't always act from our wisest place, even though our intention to do so is strong. For whatever reasons we fall back, you know, we get confused. You know, sometimes it's just basic confusion. Sometimes it's based in a greed, a wanting. Sometimes it's based in anger. We fall into confusion again. And with that, we both have to learn to see, to be honest, to acknowledge, and to accept that with kindness, not letting it be another place that we make ourselves wrong, worthless, no good. It was really just a habit of confusion. And in the scene of that, in the capacity to be honest with it, can we come back towards truthfulness, to letting things be as they are, to looking deeply I'd like to read from Shakespeare, Hamlet. He says, This above all to thine own self be true, and it follows then as night the day. Thou cannot then be false to any man. Being true to ourselves, that takes some looking especially with these habits of confusion that, you know, um, in my earlier years, there was certainly a sense of uh, being true to the just the way I like it experiences, you know, and to really, um, you know, having a sense of following one's heart was following one's greed, you know, getting what one wanted in life. And we know that's not truth. We know that's not sustainable. In Buddhist teachings, we hear of taking refuge in the Dharma. And this is taking refuge in truth, the lawfulness of life and living in accordance with the lawfulness, taking refuge in the Dhamma. It's where we let ourselves see beyond the conceptual mind, 
the beliefs, the views, the opinions, and really go to the nature of things. I spoke about, I think it was last week, in wisdom. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was last week. Yeah. So the practice that we're doing here, just through the simplicity of mindfulness, takes us into this discovery of truth. Because if we try to figure truth out, it's confusing. You know, the, the rational mind can't do it. But truth is in our hearts. It's to be lived, to be known. And by just the strengthening of mindfulness, which is the capacity to see things in a non-reactive way, to let the mind discern what is seen and known. This leads to truth, understanding. Without mindfulness, we don't know what our minds are doing. We don't know the web of delusion. And there's no sense of being able to cut through it. No, and that's really when we just live in the totally reactive mind. And, you know, we go with greed or we, you know, push away through aversion and we just, you know, live in that state of confusion, disconnection. And it's a state that, you know, a way of living that um, doesn't bring peace, doesn't bring happiness. And yet, maybe what we have done a lot in our lives. And so it's really mindfulness that is going to help us to be able to be present in our life, to see, and to gain some understanding of the lawful unfolding, to gain some understanding of the law of karma, how, you know, when we plant wholesome seeds, uh, seeds that are based in kindness, goodness, that's what we will reap the fruits of. And when we plant unwholesome seeds, when we plant seeds of anger, ill will, that that too is what we will reap the fruits of. We begin to see, you know, that this is a truth. This is the way things are. And the mindfulness helps us to wake up to that, to see. You know, we feel the effect of ill will. We feel the effect of anger. We feel effect of joy, love, compassion. And we begin to have a choice. We water the seeds that lead to the end of suffering that lead to establishing our lives on the basis of truth.
with truthfulness as a parami, we align with truth because this is what helps to benefit the welfare and happiness of all beings. We look to, in our lives, how our lives can be, as Gandhi said of his life, how they can speak this message. And it takes a real interest in doing so to break through the confusion, to break through delusion. You know, I mean, just look at how hard some mornings it can be to wake up. And that's what we're doing. You know, that's what our journey is. You know, this, well, not always sweet, but can be sweet, peaceful sleep. But then, you know, you feel the grogginess, the confusion. There's dreamlike images you can't discern. And there's this struggle, this pull, what's happening? And then you wake up. And this is what we're doing. We're waking up out of that confusion. And so sometimes, you know, when you're waking up in the morning, you're about to wake up, and then the pull back into sleepiness happens. And that's what happens on our journey, too. If we have a real commitment to truth, you know, like I said in the beginning of the talk, there's a real fire to it. Because it can make us uncomfortable in our lives. You know, it doesn't allow us to live in complacency. And at times, we may be speaking, speaking kind of out to, about, like trying to break the trance of delusion that's not just in our own minds, but could be in our communities, our families, our workplaces, where we're really trying to dispel the delusion. And, you know, if everyone's in their sleepy, dreamy place and happy there, oftentimes people don't want to hear. Oftentimes we don't want to sit in that place of discomfort. And there's a lot to be said about sitting in that place of discomfort because I don't think it's like like just... Um, there can come an attachment to a view of truth that can be really harmful because truth isn't like that. You know, that, that, you know, we can think that some idea of the way things are is truth. And if we're holding tightly to that, it becomes another view, opinion. And when truth speaks, truth takes into account everything. And it can be that sometimes something needs to be left unspoken. That it would create more harm than good. But that is hard to know because we can't always see the effects. Speaking truth becomes an immense challenge.
I think I may have mentioned this in one of the other talks on the Paramis, but um, not all of you were here, so I'll repeat it. That before the Buddha was the Buddha, the fully awakened one, he was said to have gone through many lifetimes where he was bringing to perfection all of these paramis, these paramis of generosity, renunciation, um, wisdom. Uh, my mind's not working in a linear form tonight, so <laughs> renunciation, did I get that one in there yet? Uh, loving kindness, equanimity, patience, resolve. Um, well, maybe you'll have a sense of these qualities if I haven't hit them all. But anyhow, he's bringing to fruition all of these qualities. And it's said to, and he's said that during those lifetimes, he broke many of the precepts, you know, just like we do. But the one precept he didn't break was to speak a falsehood, to knowingly speak a falsehood. And in his teachings, he gives such strong importance to truthfulness, to right speech. Now we find it one of the precepts. We find it in the Eightfold Path. That, you know, there must be something in this. And yet, I suspect for each of us, when we look at our own speech, well, I won't speak for you. I will speak tonight for myself. (laughs) That, you know, it has been so easy at times to lapse into speech that's not quite true. You know, whether it's just a slight exaggeration that maybe makes for a good story or helps to kind of bolster one's self-image, whether, you know, it's a falsehood spoken to um, have people think of me in a more respectful way, uh, whether it's spoken to try and benefit somebody else, which, you know, just trying to, I don't know, um, either bolster another person in that, you know, in a, base, in a basis that's not truthful, or um, trying to get other people to think of someone in a way that bolsters them. Uh, there's just so many things in the mind where we can slightly dodge the truth. And, you know, that doesn't leave, lead to a very good feeling. You know, it, if, we, if we're trying to project some image of self into the world, it takes a lot of energy to maintain that. And, you know, it, it isn't maintainable. So we have a lot of anxiety about that. You know, a lot of fear. You know, somebody's going to see us and see us in a different light. Um, hmm. We can speak falsehood for the purpose of getting something. Greed, want. We can speak falsehoods from the place of anger, aversion. You know, we're, we move into cruelty and we say something which we know is not true to somebody, but just the mind lashes out and says something hurtful, spiteful. 
And sometimes, you know, there's just um, almost like a compulsive lying. You know, a compulsive embellishing of things. You know, it, it's just kind of, we've, we've lived so far from the truth that we've lost touch. And, you know, there's just um, endl- endless storytelling that really has nothing to do with anything. But it's confusing. You know, it puts up a smoke screen. And out of all this, when we really start to be honest, we feel the great relief that comes. It's like there's not a struggle anymore. There's just, you know, the sense of taking one's seat with integrity, uprightness, calling a spade a spade. And it's okay. We actually find that there is a kindness in truth. And that that which we feared was really in the delusion, the not seeing clearly. It's the resistance that becomes so painful. And looking at kind of the environment that is created through truth. You know, if you know anyone who is really committed to speaking the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, there's a great power in that. And a sense of security can come to others where they feel it's okay. You know, say you're sitting in a meeting and there's undercurrents of anger and yet everyone's being really nice to each other, or, you know, on a certain level in their words. But you, there's, there's just, you have a sense inside that something's not quite right. And then somebody says, without blame, I'm experiencing anger right now. And they speak from that place, not projecting, but speaking what's their momentary truth. And that it can give permission to ev- for everybody else to feel what they're feeling. They don't have to uphold this image. Our speech is so powerful. I, it has, it has, speech has the capacity to wake us up. The Buddha, through his teachings, woke people up, broke that spell of delusion. And when our words come close to that truth, it has the power within our own mind and the power to help others. I'd like to share a poem that just to me, really speaks beautifully to the power of words. It's called A Ritual to Read to Each Other by William Stafford. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, 
and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sweet sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade, holding each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote important region in all who talk. Though we should fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. an invitation to use our speech to wake up, to dispel the darkness. The Buddha gave some guidelines on speech. He talked about using speech that is timely, true, gentle, purposeful, and spoken with a mind of loving-kindness. The timely, this is what I spoke about, where we take into account the totality of the situation. Are these words promoting harmony, unity, peace, understanding? Are they true? Is this really What's in our hearts? Are they gentle? It doesn't mean that, you know, the gentle doesn't mean nice. I think that's a good distinction to make. I've had a couple of teachers in my own life who said things to me that whacked (laughs) to the center of my being, but were spoken in a way that could be heard. And this is to me what gentleness is. Well, it includes that aspect of loving kindness. You know, where someone, you're speaking to someone and honoring them as a living being. You know, it can, for me, it was a sense of, you know, as if someone was seeing into the dirty, nasty, whatever that I didn't want to be seen. They're seeing it, they're speaking to it, and they're also seeing into, you know, the depths of my being. You know, they're, they're seeing that also that which is true, that which is wise. And just the holding, it's a person who's holding it all. 
and does not split, does not then go into, you know, for often what we do, we see something that somebody may do unskillfully and then put them in a little box. And then if we're just speaking to that little box, of course they can't hear our words. Of course they won't be received. Purposeful. Um, that's a good one to take a look at. You know, so often, and it, it, this, again, it's not straightforward because sometimes our conversation on one level may seem really light, could be, almost feel superficial, but the intention of it is to slowly gain trust with someone, to slowly come to intimacy because. You know, maybe it can't happen radically. It would just help some, it help put someone else at ease. So, in looking at our purpose, we're really needing to look at our motivation. What's the purpose in our speech? Is it to make a statement of self? Is it to create unity, harmony, truthfulness? One thing to know about false speech, wrong speech, is that it is defined as speaking knowingly an untruth. So sometimes we may find that we unknowingly speak something that is not truthful, but that's not actually considered a breaking of the precept. There's a resolve that one can take to never knowingly speak an untrue word. For most of us in our lives, it will probably be a practice because these habits will reemerge. Times where, for whatever reasons, we don't stick with that resolve. But our practice around speech is a commitment to looking, using it as a means of awakening. Buddha talked about not speaking lies. He also talked about refraining from slanderous speech, speech that cause enmity, division. The Burmese talk about speech that crushes the loving kindness between two people. It's really interesting if we find ourselves speaking 
slanderously to look at what's happening in our minds at that time. What's motivating this? What's propelling this speech? It's one of the, the, the pieces I've used in my life is if I hear myself talking about somebody to really stop and check if that person was present, could I still say this? And actually I've kind of had to test myself on it because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I could do that. And then, no, in truth. So we have to watch for the deception in there. But to, huh. with it, it's, it's just again going back to basic kindness in our hearts. And just seeing that there is no value. There's nothing to be gained by speaking in a way that causes division. And to recognize that it can cause pain. It can cause suffering, immense suffering. I don't know if you've ever had stories come back to you of what other people may have said about you that was spoken in an unkind way. And just how impactful that can be. And to remember that if we're ever in a situation of speaking about somebody else. Buddha talked about refraining from harsh speech. That's where we speak in a way that could be scolding, reproving another, but from a place of anger and bitterness. No, it's not where we're trying to help somebody really see something from compassion, but where, you know, it's like belittling of another person. Or it could be where we insult somebody which it can be based in aversion. And we often do this when we ourselves may feel criticized or judged, and it's our response. But again, remember what it feels like to have somebody treat us in that way. And with harsh speech, I like to expand it because it's not just words. No, our communication doesn't happen just through words. That communication happens through the tone of our voice, through the volume of our voice, through the energy, through body language. And I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where, you know, somebody's saying something very gentle, or it seems, you know, there, there's some level where it's seemingly kind and their eyes are just killing you. <laughs> yeah. That's all communication, you know, and that's all harsh speech. It was interesting. At one point in my life, not so many years ago, I don't know how, it was about five years ago, I think, I realized that I had created enough um, pain around miscommunication, and I decided to do a communication course just to help gain some insight into how to speak 
in an effective way, how to, how to really communicate. You know, because we go to school and we learn about sentence structure and grammar and we learn all kinds of skills that really have nothing to do with communicating from our hearts and nothing to do with listening to another, to being fully present to another in, in their speaking. And so I went to this course and it was just amazing to see how we all felt like babies around communication. And, you know, how it's something that demands a lot of attention in our lives. And it's something that we can really use in our daily life as a means of waking up. So, you know, really looking when you're speaking to what's being communicated What's the totality of your being communicating? Another guideline the Buddha gave around speech is to refrain from idle chatter. (laughs) Do we know this one? (laughs) Hmm. Idle chatter keeps us on the level of the superficial no flitting about, doesn't allow us to give attention to that which needs attention. It creates that barrier of confusion, uncertainty, that camouflage. It leads to frivolousness, which in turn has to lead to anxiety, fearfulness. Um, So I'd like to share with you some examples of what the Buddha said are things worth talking about. And this is not to put... (laughs) It could make... Some of you will start speaking in a few days. Um, If you bear this in mind, it may radically alter your conversation. But it's worth taking to heart and looking at it. Uh, Contentment, solitude, seclusion, application of energy, virtue, concentration, wisdom, liberation, and the knowledge and vision of liberation. On Friday afternoons, we have a discussion group here. I don't know if some of you, every one of you have partaken of it. But it is, you know, the basis of it is to really come together in, by way of exploration of truth, of wisdom, liberation, what's true in our hearts. It might not be, you know, a good party game (laughs) when we're out in the world. No, it's not the level of communication that happens in the world. And so it brings this practice of right speech 
into the realm of discovery. Because here amongst ourselves, you know, like in that discussion group, as some of you will be, you know, breaking silence, speaking together, um, it may be easier to speak things worthy of talking about. You know, that, that there can be a sharing of what we've learned, the growing wisdom in our hearts. And yet, when we go back into our lives, it's not what the communication is often about in the staff dining room where we work. Um, it, but what can happen is that we just use this basis of staying in alignment with truth, speaking that which seems both true, useful, purposeful, is timely, spoken with the heart of loving kindness. Just using that as a basis. Using that as the exploration. I'd like to share a teaching from Bhikkhu Bodhi, um, he's a, a Western monk who has just, you know, done amazing work around translating the suttas and the commentaries of the suttas. And he says of truthful speech, to realize truth, our whole being has to be brought into accord with actuality, with things as they are, which requires that in communications with others, we respect things as they are by speaking the truth. Truthful speech establishes a correspondence between our own inner being and the real nature of phenomena, allowing wisdom to rise up and fathom their real nature. Thus, much more than an ethical principle, devotion to truthful speech is a matter of taking our stand on reality rather than illusion on the truth grasped by wisdom rather than the fantasies woven by desire. Taking our stand on reality rather than illusion. This is the whole directions of our practice, of our lives. Letting it come through in how we live our lives, what we do, what we say, taking a stand upon truth. I'd like to share another teaching from uh, a monk named Ajahn Lee. He says, when we practice virtue, concentration, and discernment, it's as if we're taking the jewels and the robes of royalty and the noble ones to dress up our heart and make it beautiful. But if we aren't true in our practice, it's like taking robes and jewels and giving them to a monkey. The monkey is bound to get them dirty and to tear them to shreds 
because it has no sense of beauty at all. Whosoever sees this kind of thing happening is sure to see right through it, that it's a monkey show. Even though the costumes are genuine, the monkey inside isn't genuine like the costumes. For instance, if you take a soldier's cap and uniform to dress it up as a soldier, it's a soldier only as far as the cap and the uniform, but the monkey inside is still a monkey and not a soldier at all. But going back to the first part, when we practice virtue, concentration, and discernment, it's as if we're taking the jewels and robes of royalty and the noble ones to dress up our heart and make it beautiful. We have to be true to this. And this truth is the Dharma, the way of things. To be respected, cared for, and honored within our own hearts and minds. Let's sit for a moment. from Sagyal, a 12th century monk. The mind for truth begins like a stream, shallow at first, but then adds more and more depth while gaining clarity. So closing with the chanting on the reflections on sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.